and welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Rachel Baumberger. Rachel is the plant diagnostician for the WSU Department of Plant Pathology's Plant Pest Diagnostic Clinic. The clinic is a year-round resource available to growers, industry, and the general public to help them identify and manage their plant health problems. The clinic works on all but one plant to test for fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes. The clinic can also test soil for select pathogens and perform tests for special issues impacting Washington and the PNW. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Drew. Thanks for having me. Last time you were here, uh, my guest on the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, you introduced the clinic as a resource to growers and industry. Uh, but what really happens to a plant sample once it shows up in your clinic? It's a great question, Drew, and give some insight on what it's like to be a diagnostician. So when a grower or industry, someone sends in a sample to the clinic, the first thing we do is actually an initial exam, very similar to like when you go to the doctor's office, where they take your temperature, your pulse, maybe measure your height. We kind of do the same thing. So I'll check the plant, you know, see what type of a plant material is there. Generally, I ask for a whole plant sample so I can check kind of head to toe, if you will, of the plant. But sometimes I just get leaves or just roots. Uh, all sorts of things can end up in the mail on occasion. But so let's say I have my sample. The first thing I do is start listing the symptoms. I examine it looking to see, you know, are there chlorotic leaves, uh, necrotic roots? Do I see any um, evidence of leaf infection, you know, something like cephalosporium stripe. Um, can I ex examine that a little bit further, see some of the classic or diagnostic symptoms such, like I said, for cephalosporium stripe, where you see it discoloring the node, um, as well as things like eye spot. We can start checking different levels of the plant to see if we can see very typical uh, symptoms and what's going on. So, that's kind of the first step, again, running through the symptoms, and then from there, seeing if I see any symptoms of certain typical diseases, such as eye spot, cephalosporium. Um, and based on what I see there, that'll kind of determine what testing I'm going to go on um, from there. Okay. Do people often say, I think this is such and such, or are you kind of, is it kind of a blank page when they send it to you? In other words, here's a problem, I don't know what it is, and you have to start from... From basically scratch. It's actually about 50-50. Usually a grower or industry member is pretty confident in what they have, or they have a really strong suspicion of, I suspect, rhizoctonia root rot. Um, and like I said, that's about 50-50 chance that they're right. I do get samples where the plant is just super bizarre. We have no idea what's happening. Um, but there is on the submission form that you can find at my website, we do have a section called what do you think is wrong? And this is the perfect place for a grower or the person sending in the sample to say, you know, I think I have rhizoctonia root rot. I think I have cephalosporium stripe. I think I have eye spot. And then I can then check to make sure 
and see if my diagnosis and my exam is showing the same thing. And anytime you put that information, I do take that to heart and make sure that I can either confirm or, you know, negate that concern by saying I don't see any of these symptoms. So yes, a grower can absolutely put what they think is wrong and will work to confirm or to relieve them that that's not a problem. Okay. You mentioned your website. Just for our listeners, can you tell us what that website address is? Yeah. It's plantpath.wsu.edu slash diagnostics. Okay. And we'll make sure we get that in our show notes so people can see that and use it. So something comes in, you decide you need to do some further testing. What does uh, further testing include? So let's say I'm examining a plant and I'm starting to suspect root rot. You know, I've gone through that initial exam and maybe I've seen poor vigor or chlorotic leaves or just kind of what I like to call a sad plant. What I might do then is start to examine it under a microscope. And under a microscope, usually I can actually see damage to the roots, um, such as spear tipping or rat tailing. Spear tipping is where we see uh, that the root has broken off at a sharp point. And then what I call rat tailing, because I'm a 90s child, um, is where the cortex has slopped off the root. This is pretty characteristic of a root raw pathogen, especially something like Rhizoctonia or Pythia. Um, so what I'll do from that one microscope, so that's kind of a larger microscope, where I can put the whole plant, I'll then take an individual root and put it under a fine... Uh, compound microscope. That's what you traditionally think of when you see people looking into almost the binoculars to see really fine details. And from there, for things like rhizoctonia and take-all, I can actually see the structures of the fungal pathogens and confirm based on microscopic observations that it is, in fact, that pathogen present. So we can go from sample arrival to a diagnosis, you know, in two hours. Um, sometimes I can't find those structures that fit with the symptoms I'm seeing. Let's say for pythium root rot, you can't always see structures, um, on the roots. So what I end up having to do is take a selection of the affected tissue, and then I go through a laboratory process where we surface sterilize to kind of kill any of, it's essentially like washing your hands. You're getting rid of all of kind of the background microorganisms that are associated with that root. And then I put it onto laboratory media, which really just kind of looks like weird jello, but it allows a fungal or bacterial pathogen to grow. That way I can then identify that structure from the roots. It can take anywhere from about 12 hours to two weeks, uh, depending on the pathogen. Uh, luckily for a lot of the grain growers, we can get results out anywhere from 12 hours to three days is pretty average. So you can tell by how the pathogen grows on the auger what it is, or do you have to do something after you get some growth to figure out what it is? That's a good question to make it sound a little less science fiction-y. Um, there are patterns of growth that are distinctive for certain pathogens. And then, so that's what we call hyphal growth. They're kind of these thin string-like strands that will grow from those pieces of tissue. Um, but usually what we're going to end up using are kind of a fruiting body or a sexual structure, reproductive structure, because those tend to be a little bit more unique to the different pathogens, kind of like how flowers are unique to the individual plants. Okay. So we've spent a little time talking about uh, fungal pathogens, which are fairly common pathogens. What about virus? How, those are mighty tiny things. How do you tell whether you have a virus infecting your plant? Drew, those are pretty tiny, um, so tiny that even my lab microscope can't see it. 
and I don't really have a couple thousand dollars to throw down on a very fancy microscope that would let me see virus particles. So what I do to test for viruses, um, if during that initial exam, there are some pretty typical symptoms we associate with some of the viruses we have in our region. Um, we call mosaics where they're a little bit too regular a pattern of different chlorosis or yellowing or lighter green symptoms. I'll actually take that affected tissue and use it in what's called an ELISA. And if you want to be technical, ELISA is um, an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. Really just fancy technical language. But what it is, is I take that affected tissue, I grind it up in what we call buffer. So I've kind of just liquefied or made juice out of that um, plant tissue. And then I'm going to expose it to different antibodies and antigens. Um, and after some laboratory magic, we'll actually see a color change in a test well that will indicate whether or not uh, the sample is positive for a particular virus or negative. The great thing about this particular technology is if I receive that sample, your sample, by about 4 p.m. One day, you'll have your results by around 2 p.m. the next day. So it's a really fast method of testing a virus. Okay, so just a really quick reaction mm -hmm. in that little well. Very good. What about bacteria? We have a few bacterial diseases out there. Is that as, as easy as virus or fungi, or is it a whole different On program? the scale of fungi to virus, it's actually closer to the fun, fungi side of that spectrum. Um, we don't have that many bacterial pathogens because we are a dry land growing area, but those folks in irrigated uh, areas do have bacterial pathogens that can show up um, usually through potentially infected sea sources or maybe uh, depending on what weeds or regrowth there has been in their field, that can be a source of inoculum or uh, the pathogen entering. But with bacteria, we follow a pretty similar uh, setup or process for diagnosis where I'll do the initial exam and my best friend is my microscope. So I usually start there after the initial exam and we'll look for what's called bacterial streaming. I cut into the affected tissue and if bacteria is present, typically for most bacteria, you will actually see it stream out of the plant cells. Um, this isn't always 100%. There are some bacteria that don't reproduce that much, so we can't see that streaming. So what I'll do instead is we'll take some of that tissue again, we'll surface sterilize it, and then put it on that funky science jello to hopefully encourage the bacteria to grow, and then we'll work from there to start confirming uh, which bacteria it is. Usually this is based on color, um, how it grows or does not grow on certain medias, and we'll work from there. Again, we only have a few that we really have to deal with in this area, so... We have some quick tests. Okay, so you've told us how things normally work. What happens if you uh, have a fungi and you can't get it to grow out on agar or you have a virus but you can't ID it with ELISA? Are there other ways to go about doing this or just throw up your hands and say, I don't know? I do that first and then I go drink a beer and then the next day I come back to the lab a little bit more grounded. Uh, I'm very lucky that I'm located inside the same building as a number of plant pathologists, as well as crops and soils, horticulturalists. Um, so I'll go to my experts because I'm biased. I am a plant pathologist. I will start with folks looking for a disease, um, see what they think. If they confer that it does look like it is potentially a disease, then we'll work from there trying to see if there's a newer technique such as utilizing DNA or RNA to identify 
the pathogen. Or if we start to think, well, maybe this isn't a pathogen because about 50% of all plant samples that come into a clinic, and that's any clinic, regardless of what state. Um, when I worked in Nevada, we were a little bit closer to 60 to 40% because most plants just have drought stress. But most plant samples, most plant clinics experience about 50% biotic, so diseases, fungi, bacteria, and then 50% abiotic. So these are things like weather-related events, um, chemical damage, or just all the sorts of things that can go wrong. I can kill a plant by looking at it. That would technically, I guess, be biotic since I'm living. But just all the things that can also harm plants. Um, so if we can't find a pathogen, a virus, or a bacteria, we start to look in there. You know, do the roots look like they have root rot, or do they have clubbing and twisting? Could it be aluminum toxicity? This is where we'll start asking those broader questions. What was the pattern in the field? Is there any way that this could potentially be chemical damage? Could there be pH issues? Um, so we start digging deeper and maybe we need more testing. So, and this is different testing. So it might not include plant pathology, but could be soil test resources, um, analytical chemistry labs to figure out if maybe there's been an herbicide issue. Um, but it always is kind of reaching out. That's why I do suggest the clinic as a starting point, because we can start eliminating things. That's the other beauty of diagnostics is negative results do give us tons of data. If we can rule out all of the potential disease suspects, then we can start confidently moving in the direction of some of these abiotic issues that can be a little bit more ambiguous than a straightforward disease issue. I know you'll bring occasionally a sample down to me to look at, you know, that you suspect might be a herbicide problem. And a lot of problems, I think that what it looks like in the field is very uh, instructive. So drift issues tend to have a drift pattern, uh, freeze problems tend to occur in low spots. So I think that having that information is probably pretty valuable if people can include that in their notes to you, maybe even include a picture per se. Is there a way of, of attaching a picture with some of these samples or sending you a picture? Or? Absolutely. And first of all, thanks, Drew, for letting me uh, bombard you all the time with those questions. Um, but yes, if you, you know, I only get a snapshot of what's happening in just a few plants. So anytime, you're welcome to use the space on a sample submission form to detail that kind of field-wide information, as well as photos. This is cliche, but photos, you know, can speak a thousand words. I can really understand what's going on by seeing what's in the field, the pattern. Is it low spots or high spots? Is it on margins? Is it only next to a certain field? You know, what's going on? kind of macroscopically versus microscopically. Um, I'm also very lucky that some of the retired wheat breeders and uh, scientists also have coffee across the hall from me every day at 10. So they've seen you know things that haven't shown up for a couple of decades. But so when I get things and none of my currently employed researchers know what's going on, I am lucky that I get to pop across the hall and ask, have you seen this before? Uh, those usually end up being my favorite samples because it's been something we haven't seen for 20, 30 years, but they knew it in a heartbeat. Oh, interesting. There, there is some value to having <laughs> uh, retirees come have coffee in the mm -hmm. morning. So we've talked a little bit about the plant pest diagnostic clinic. I guess, once again, can you tell people how to find that information and what forms they're looking for on that site? Absolutely. So we do have a website. Again, it's uh, plant path dot wsu dot edu slash diagnostics 
or you can Google Department of Plant Pathology plus WSU and there is a link to take you to the diagnostic webpage as well as our ever popular small grains website does also include a link to take you. Um, you're also welcome to email me, give me a call, and I can email you the form directly. Um, the form I'm referring to is the sample submission form. This is the space where I get to collect all of the data. Um, data points sound really sciencey there, but all of the information that's critical for a proper diagnosis. You know, what variety is it? Where is the field located? Um, how many acres are affected? What symptoms are you seeing? That seems really silly to say, but that can be a really important thing because the symptoms that I get really interested in aren't always the ones that, you know, the grower or the client is having issues with. So that also provides to make sure that I'm not just getting excited as a plant pathologist looking at something else that you're not concerned about. Um, and again, if you have a suspicion, again, growers are at least 50% right on what their biggest suspicion is on what's going on. So it does include space for you to put that information. Okay. Well, I think this uh, clinic is an excellent resource. Not every state has this resource available anymore. And so really appreciate your running of it. And uh, people should take a look at the site. And if they have some needs, uh, contact you either through the website or by email. Thanks a lot, Rachel. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review while you're there. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also reach out on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.